everybody please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz, and the world is on fire, everybody. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, so, so in other words, it's following the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, it's, everything was good for like a day and a half. It really was. And then uh, and then they lost to the Pittsburgh Penguins, and now uh, Elaine Vigneault just isn't the guy. I don't know if anyone else has come to that conclusion. I kid. We're going to get into all of it tonight. Let's uh, let's just start with the intros. Let's lead it off with Canada's own Kelly Hinkle. So this is something that Charlie's been saying for a while. And whenever he would say it, I would just kind of nod and be like, yeah, I guess so. But I have noticed it more and more lately, and it's starting to make me insane. And that is that a large portion of the Flyers fan base treats every hockey game like an Eagles game in that it's so meaningful that one loss in October means that the team is garbage and everything is over and we should just throw in the towel. And it's nonsense and it's making me crazy. Are you telling me that one out of 82 does not equal one out of 16? I'm not a math person per se. (laughs) Yeah, we might need to go to Charlie on the numbers on this one, but let's just... No, it's funny you talk about this because you guys were talking before we started about how it's even worse with the Phillies. Because they so play 162 goddamn games, and which is so game. many. Every but game. at my other job, I was producing a show where the new Phillies manager was on the air with us with his first interview in Philadelphia, or his first interview on a radio show in Philly. And we asked him, we were like, yo, you know, like, every one of your decisions gets broken down like it's a fourth and one by Doug Peterson. Like, you know that, <laughs> right? And, like, you spent 10 years with the Yankees, so he gets how these media markets work, yeah. but... Yeah, that's. I tried to walk the line last night of being really pissed off about the Flyers not trying, and I never go to the effort well, but they straight up didn't try hard enough last night against the Penguins. No, I mean, they didn't care. They they, mo- did. they more or less admitted. Yeah, like, like they didn't say like we didn't try. Yeah, but everyone was basically the look, energy look, the wasn't energy there. The energy wasn't yeah. there, yeah. which is like, I don't think you go into a game and say I'm not going to give a shit, but like no. they. Got it just wasn't. Yeah, they, they got, got outworked. Yeah, and that's not. Uh, I try not to go there because it is the. Oh, they didn't. Uh, like usually they try. They're pros, but last night it wasn't there. And I tried to walk that line between. Hey, eighty-two game season, and over the first eleven, I've liked what I've seen overall, and that was shit. And you should feel bad. How did you come down on that one, Kelly? I mean, I it's it's one game. And it's it's okay to be upset about the result of that one game and to judge the performance in that one game and call them out on a poor effort in one game. It's a whole different thing to start saying stuff like, let's trade a first-round pick for Jonathan Quick. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get into some goalie stuff. Maybe so, <laughs> is actually bad. Like, it's yeah. everyone needs to calm down. It's one game, and three days ago, all we could talk about is how well the team was playing. Yeah. So maybe just- we should just... I I want to just back up a, a little bit because it wasn't just one game. So it was Tuesday and then it was Sunday and Saturday started off like a shit show. They just happened to pull themselves together. So it's not just one game. So I understand two, two and a half. I right. 
understand where the people are coming from because this is this is shadows of teams past, ghosts of teams past, and I get it. But you know, that being said, it is a different team. The feel around the team is different. Let's not all jump off the cliff at the same time. No, let's but to, to, let's, let's like walk slowly towards the cliff. We're going to talk in a little bit about uh, Kelly's interview with uh, Kat Silverman regarding Carter Hart and his struggles and how she brought up how when things start going bad, you tend to maybe fall into some bad habits and starting games like that is a bad habit that we've seen them exhibit. Hopefully it doesn't continue. From TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. So as Kelly said, this whole Philadelphia fans treat um, every sports team's games like it's an Eagles game, not really comprehending quite. They, they they know, but they don't really get it that like 16 game season, every game really does matter a lot. And in a 162 game season or an 82 game season, they still matter, but they matter significantly less than they do in an Eagles season. So I am 100% on board with that concept. And it's just because the Eagles own this market. So everybody yeah. grows up an Eagles fan first, and they're trained on this idea of, like, every Eagles game matters so much, so that must be the way it is for everything. That being said, the thing about this year with the Flyers that I will say, and this goes back to, so because I changed my coverage a bit, with regards to how I'm doing my articles in The Athletic, and I'm doing weekly 10 things. I'm not doing a 10 things after every game. So what I've been trying to structure these 10 things articles, these weekly 10 things articles, is sort of you know looking at overarching trends and kind of how the week as a whole went. And in, in football, there's one game a week. Yeah. Well, what's been really funny about these 10 things articles that I've done is every week has been like either – Yo, this team might be awesome. And then the next week it's, yo, this team might suck. Yo, this team might be awesome. Like, I am with you 100% that that fans should not treat Flyers games as if they're Eagles games. But in all honesty, the Flyers are treating their season as if it's an Eagles season. Where, like, every week has its own own identity. And then it switches. Yeah, every three-game stretch is its own thing. I've noticed that with the power rankings. (laughs) Like, doing that. Like, it's so easy to do power rankings in football. Basically, everybody plays on one day. There's yes. you know, one Thursday and one. But, like, I'm trying to grade Colorado. It's like, well, some teams have passed them, but they've only played two games this week. So they're still number one, I guess. Uh, that's what it is. But I will say in defense of the people who overreact to every single game, while it is not as intense or important as a single football game, all these people did just spend three hours watching this game. I can't, like, in good conscience say... Don't worry about that time you just wasted watching the team piss all over themselves. No, I agree. I agree with that. Um, and just a, a little a little fun aside. So I didn't watch the Eagles game this week, uh, but I was in the Broad Street Hockey Slack. And just following along with the conversation, I'm like, God, this is a bloodbath. Like, the Eagles are doing terribly. These assholes in our Broad Street Hockey Slack, like hockey people, the Eagles won. And, like, not by an insignificant amount. True. Like, the Eagles were winning for the entire game. Most of the game. And not by an insignificant amount. And the way that they were talking, I'm just like, God, is, is Doug... Doug Peterson, is he going to get fired? Like, what is what is going on with the receivers? Like, is Carson Wentz cooked? Like, you <laughs> fucking assholes. 
They won. They won and they were winning the whole time. We are all insane. I don't think that's... Absolutely batshit. Like, I mean, I think we can go a little inside baseball here. It's month one of, you know, a six-month hockey season for a team that might make the playoffs... And we're gonna do like two hundred thousand listens. This we're gonna have like our best month ever. <laughs> so like we're all insane, you know. We're all we're all crazy. shades of insane. Yeah. Last oh but God. certainly not least, I can't believe we're still on intros, Steph Driver. <laughs> yeah. So my intro is is not as long or okay. as complicated. Um. So I want to talk about how the team has finally decided to start promoting Michael Roffel after he's been here for the past three decades. Well. Um. But that doesn't necessarily mean that things are going really well within your organization. Like, if you're focusing and promoting Michael Roffel, yikes. Yeah. You know, and and I oh. am the number one Michael Roffel defender and supporter, but... um. Yeah, we need we need some of these other guys to to pick up a it's little hard bit. To, well, when you say promoting, what do you mean? You know those uh, backgrounds that they do for uh, every you're, week. You're talking about and, like Twitter and stuff. And like all the the broadcast is talking about Michael Roffel, like they're talking about Michael Roffel. All right, I mean, he is. Are you not uh, seeing listen, that? I, I I haven't noticed it being like especially egregious. But it's not I, egregious. It's just I, I don't, like, oh. I don't watch the games on television generally. So I was that actually, might be why I'm it. I was actually Ooh. thinking about this on the way here, and uh, the the radio station I was listening to was doing a uh, a uh, apology hour for Robert Covington, and I thought, who after they're gone will we appreciate that we may be underappreciated while they were here? And my answer was Michael Roffel, but. The thing is, he's still here. Yeah. Like, so yeah. he kind of is just that immediate. Like, I, again, I will always say Michael Raffle can play on my fourth line any day. If he's in my top nine, I'm going to have an issue with it. Um, I just, it's hard to get behind uh, any sort of Michael Raffle promotion. Like, I like him. He's there in his little role. The minute he plays 14 minutes, I go, I. He's fine. Yeah, he's fine. He's, he's fine. He's a good player. All right, let's get into All this because right. uh, I guess the the hottest topic of conversation over the last week has surrounded our goaltenders and uh, the anointed one, Carter Hart, has been at the center of it. And I want to throw this to you, Kelly, because you did an interview with. Uh, is it? Does she go by Cat or does she go by Catherine? Cat. She uh, with Cat Silverman uh, from all sorts of different places. I know her through Elite Prospects. Um, Increase Magazine, you know, she does all sorts of things. But you talked to her about Carter Hart's struggles. What were your main takeaways from that interview, Kelly? Yeah, so first of all, shout out to Kurt at Broad Street Hockey. I think this was actually his idea um, to talk to a goalie expert. The main thing that I took away from what she told us um, is essentially that this is a very individual thing. There's no right or wrong way to pull a goalie out of a slump. Um, That said... The most interesting thing that she said and the thing that I wasn't expecting is that, in her opinion, if Carter Hart is falling into bad habits, which seems like what he's doing, it seems like when he struggles, he um, starts losing his angles, his technique isn't as good as it usually is. And she said that if that's what's happening, if this isn't just a case of the team in front of him being dog shit and him not being able to get the job done or if it's just a mental thing or something, she thinks that he might actually benefit from some time with the Phantoms because it would be a completely low-pressure situation in which he could just work on his game without having to worry about affecting the NHL team. And that was 
I was really surprised by that because I was kind of like, if you send him down, aren't you just going to kill his confidence? And she didn't seem to think so. So that was <laughs> that, super interesting to me. At that point, she called him the perfect human. Yeah. Where, where if you were like, Carter, why don't you go down and you can work on this? And yeah, okay, I'd love that. I think we've discussed his mental toughness and his ability to deal with and overcome adversity at length through his tenure here. But my issue with it is who replaces him. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think it varies from, <laughs> from person to person and goalie to goalie. Like, some goalies might respond well to that. Some goalies might respond poorly. Like, classic example, and obviously this is a position player versus a goalie, but last season, Carson Torinsky made it all the way to the end of camp. He got sent down, didn't make the team, and from all reports and even by his own admission, he basically was kind of, you know, in a bad place mentally for the first couple months of the year because he was, you know, ticked off he didn't make the team, depressed he didn't make the team, didn't know what his role was in the AHL because he was so close to making the team, and then they're playing on the fourth line, and, like, it took him a while to sort of get the hang of where he should be mentally. Compare that with Joel Farabee, who was in the same situation almost made the team one of the last cuts, goes down, and immediately just kills it. And then he's back up in two and a half weeks. So I think it really, like, that whole AHL thing, it's, I don't think it's something to dismiss out of hand as, like, no, you just can't do it. Like, the thing is, is, like, mm-hmm. like doing something like that would be more, it would be more like you just can't do it for the fans, because the fans would lose their goddamn fucking minds. Oh god! I don't think it would necessarily oh kill Imagine Carter. Imagine if Hart, he would, but if he got sent down, the fans would lose their minds. It, you would either the fans would either lose their minds at the organization for sending him down, or they'd lose their minds like, "See, this guy's a boss. The goalie we yep. said was great is actually it terrible." Would be both. Here's my thing. Um, okay. Talking about being concerned about Carter Hart is insane to me. It was insane to Cat too. So like he's fine. You yeah. know what every goaltender in the history of the goddamn sport has done? Play some bad yeah. games. Yeah. yeah. All right? So I, I just want to go back to the interview a little Please bit before do. before we dig in. Uh, so what I thought was really interesting from Cat. Um, is that she reiterated multiple times that he's 21. And not only is he Mm -hmm. just 21, but he just turned 21 in August. So he's still very young. This is his first full NHL season. So, yeah, he got a cup of coffee in the NHL last year. You know, 30 games. All right. He got a a thermos of coffee in the (laughs) NHL last year. With a couple refills. With a couple refills. But, you know, this is still his first NHL season season making it out of camp getting the start right being the guy from day one and this is yeah this is the first time under this regime so he's got a whole new group of bosses to um to impress and you know there's a lot going on there's a lot more pressure so she hit on a couple of topics that i thought were really interesting one, uh, when he makes himself small in net, it very well could be fatigue, whether physical or mental, um, mm-hmm. because the defense isn't necessarily giving him a whole lot of support and a whole lot of help. And and the pace is quick in the NHL and the Flyers tend to play high event hockey. So he's getting peppered with shots. Um what we can feel really good about is that he's tracking the puck well. So even if his angles are off, they're they're slightly off. And yeah, it sucks that those are leading to goals, but he's still tracking the puck well. And he is 
not a big boy. You know, he's six one. Six two. Yeah, he's six two, but he's kind of thin. Like he's 180. Like she was like lucky yeah. if he's one eighty. Yeah, like soaking wet. I loved her comparison to Brian Elliott. Yeah, like if Brian Elliott's angles are off, and no one, it, it doesn't matter because he's, a, he's they're a, always <laughs> off, and right. he constantly makes diving saves. But Carter but Hart like, has Hart, never. This had, is what he does. He's never had to make yeah. these desperation saves because he's such a technically strong goalie. So if his angles are off by just a couple degrees. You're going to see pucks start going in the net, which sucks, but he's still tracking the puck well. So there are just some things that he needs to work on. And and the the way that she suggested he work on them was to, to sit down and talk with people, which I just, in my head, the picture that I have is they're all sitting around a, a boardroom table with cups of coffee, and it's like Brian Elliott and... Elaine Vigneault, and I forget the goalie coach's name at the moment. Um, Kim Dillabaugh. Not yes. Jeffries. Kim, not Jeffries. Kim, not Jeffries. <laughs> uh, and then his his mom and like his <laughs> his billet his billet yeah <laughs> his billet dad from yeah, yeah. from Everett yeah. and his his Everett junior coach and they're all just talking around, be like, all right, Carter, what's going on for you? How are I you today? That, but on like a couch, <laughs> like a, a therapist's couch, and he's in like a suit. But uh, oh, he's his, always his, in a suit his because glove, he's impeccable. His glove as well. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah. That's what I pictured there. <laughs> the glove is his as his pillow while he's laying on the couch. So Kat had a lot of really interesting yeah, things listen to, to say. Yeah, listen to the interview. It's, we just, it's really good. We just summed a lot of it up, but do listen to this interview. It's on our podcast feed. Charlie? I just like, it's three games. Yeah. I, I think that to me is the, is just what continues to stick in my head about this whole thing is... I'm not here to tell you not to worry about Carter Hart. You should. He is such a huge part of the future of this franchise. And if he's not as good as we're hoping he's going to be, that's really bad. It's not necessarily the end of the world because they do have other goalies in the pipeline that could surprise. I mean, think back to the Rangers. The Rangers thought Montoya was their goalie of the future. And then Henrik Lundqvist, the late draft pick, becomes the superstar goalie of the decade. So, you know, it's not necessarily the end of the world if Carter Hart isn't awesome, but obviously he seems to have the best chance of being awesome, and it's a big deal if he can solve the goaltender position for the next 10-plus years in Philadelphia because they haven't had anybody to solve it for 20-plus years. So I'm not saying not to worry about Carter Hart. I'm saying don't worry about him after three games. Yeah, yeah that's right. and, and I get, I get again, I get why people are worried because in these three games, it's 20-something goals, which... I get it. Like, I, I get it. I just, yeah, they were really bad. And some of them really were bad. bad. Yeah. I will tell you, though, the defense, although we all stuck up for the defense last week, has been not good lately. No, they and have here's not the, like, good. Charlie. Did I Andre, stick up for the defense? Uh, most of us did. I don't know. I can't remember last week. But Charlie, I have a, I, have I can't a, remember I, yesterday. Go I ahead. have a question for you. One word answer, or maybe two. Okay. Andre Vasilevsky, is he a good goalie or a bad goalie? I think he's a good goalie. Well, look at his fucking numbers this year. No, he ain't. You know what he's going to be by the end of the year? A good goalie. A good goalie. Dominic Hasek in 1998-99, the year he led the Sabres to the Stanley Cup final and won the sixth of his seven Vezinas. And posted the best save percentage of his career, 937. Somehow didn't win his third straight heart, besides the point. He had eight appearances 
where he gave up four-plus goals and 13 appearances with a save percentage below 900. The point is, shit happens. Carter Hart is fine. He's actually the least of my worries. This is a couple of games. Yeah. All goalies play bad games. I swear to you, the Flyers didn't lose to Marty Brodeur every single time. They usually lost, but sometimes <laughs> they beat him. Like, I, I just, this is not the issue here. There's so many. I have, uh, all the, I'm not going to play the calm down card all day because I do think there are some, some troublesome trends. But with Carter Hart, I am not the least bit worried. And to everyone, like, I have a friend who keeps texting me, nah, man, our goalies are cursed. It's fun to say those types of things. Is it Frankie? No, it's 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 our other buddy, Drew. <laughs> uh, but he, he keeps saying to me, our goalies are cursed. I'm sorry we all feel this way. There's a reason for it. But Garth Snow and Antero Nitamaki have zero to do with Carter Hart. One does not affect the other in any way. I'm sorry, it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was it was Jason Martinez was dealing with people who were freaking out about Carter Hart a couple a couple days ago. And he knows goalies. And he knows goalies. He plays, plays goalie. I mean, he's he's not more knowledgeable about the technical side of the position than I am, without a doubt. And someone asked him when when is it t- when are we allowed to start worrying about Carter Hart? Five and, years and, from now. And, and, and that and what he, I think what he said was like in two or three years. <laughs> and, and, and like you know what like that's he's that's, not wrong. That's completely unacceptable to allow yes. contingent of Philadelphia fans. But he's kind of right. Yes. Yeah, no. And, and, and that's the problem. The problem is is that like fans aren't going to accept that. But as we talked about this offseason, like Carey Price's second year wasn't good. Grant, no, yeah. Grant Fuhrer's second year wasn't good. Ilya Samsonov got drafted a year before Hart in the first round. And he's backing up Brayden Holtby looking all right this year. Yeah, looking like, all right. But my point is, is like that's it. Carey Price had a great rookie year, yeah. and her, and he was the the top goalie prospect. And this guy is awesome. And you know what happened his second year? He wasn't that good. Yaroslav Lok took the job back. Grant Fuhr wasn't good in his second year. Even even Martin Berdor. And I, I will I will say this because in the playoffs that year he then became yes, awesome course, again yeah. and led them the championship. But during the regular season he wasn't that good. Like. Sometimes really good young goalies take a step back in their second year, and as frustrating as I'm sure as it was for all their fans at the time, it didn't mean those they, all it, turned out okay. It didn't mean they were bad. Yeah. It didn't mean those goalies were bad. And if Carter Hart actually does have a bad year, it doesn't mean that he's bad, and it certainly doesn't mean that he's bad because he had three bad games. And here's my issue, really. This is my concern as it pertains to Carter Hart. It's not with him personally. It's with Brian Elliott who had a very good start to the season. I'm not blaming the Pittsburgh game on on him a little bit because, like, did you watch it? Yeah, the whole team. Yeah, everyone was terrible. Uh, But he has allowed 10 goals on the last 73 shots he's faced. That's that's not good. Um, My concern with Moose— Some might even say it's bad. Yeah, my concern with Moose is that he's played 248 minutes and 8 seconds and faced 132 shots— between Monday 10-21 and Tuesday 10-29, that's seven days, that's just too much. He's not going to be able to get through it, and that's the issue with Hart. When we talk about possibly sending Hart down... Which they're not going to do. Which they're not going to do. I, I mean, that was, that, just, just to be clear, like that, that was all theoretical. No, this was, that was a theoretical conversation about different ways to maybe break him out of his slump. I will say, though, Alex Lyon... In three games, it's three games. Oh it's three games. It's three games. We just said three games don't yeah. matter, but here they but matter. <laughs> a one thirty goals against and a nine fifty one save percentage. That's decent. Mm. That's decent. Alex Lyon, king of the north. That's decent. King of the north. King of the north. 
Um, if you go to broadstreethockey.com, you will see photos of Alex Lyon playing with puppies that are available for adoption. Ooh la la. Broadstreethockey.com. So do we think there's and any Phil chance? And Phil Myers. So other phantoms too. Do yeah. we think there's any chance because of this worn down, the, the potential to wear down Brian Elliott, not calling him worn down yet, just saying it's there, it could happen very well. Um, do we think we could maybe just see a couple of games stint out of Alex Lyon in the near future to kind of stem the top. So. No. no, no. Carter Hart needs to play through this. I yes. agree. He needs to figure it out. I agree. It's, it might be ugly for sh- in the short term, but it's going to be worth it in the long term. He's got the and Devils also- on Friday. Everything's going to be fine. Hope so. Yeah. I mean, here's a wild idea. How about the team in front of him tighten it the fuck up so he can get through this? Hey, that'd be be nice. Yes. No. Yeah, and that was what I was going to say. You were citing those Elliott stats, and it's like, look, I don't totally disagree with you, but we just said 10 minutes ago the defense hasn't been playing well. And, like, if that holds for Carter, that holds for Elliott, too. Oh, absolutely. I'm, again, not blaming Elliott for anything. I think he's fine, and in his backup role, he's fine. It's just that he's if, playing as the starter. If yes, if Carter Hart is not going to start two out of every three, well, that's not great for Elliot. And I don't. And I don't. I don't think that's going to continue. I, I really think that this this was just a situation where Elliot was playing well, Hart was not, and let's try to get some wins, especially in what it's a fairly important stretch. And as I said last week, like if you can't depend on your goalie to start. A couple games in a little bit, you know. I'm not talking about starting, you know, nine out of ten. But if you can't, if you can't trust a goalie to start three games in seven days or three games in six days once in a while, then why is he on your roster? But it always ends up being more than that because you go, okay, just this stretch. But there aren't breaks, you know. There's the there's the bye week and stuff. And my and, and my. Resp- but now we're coming up on a back to back. But my response to that is basically that like. The only way that was going to continue is if Elliot kept playing yeah, out of his mind, and we knew he wasn't going to keep playing out of his mind because his name is Brian Elliot. I, I I agree. Like no. yeah, this is a rough part of the schedule. Absolutely, it's it's a rough part of the schedule because October was so sparse in terms of games because yeah. of the Europe thing. So now November will be busy. I think there's 16 games in 30 days in November, so it's going to be busy. Brian Elliot is going to get his starts, but so is Carter Hart. Like that's the thing; they're both going to get their starts, and if you can't. If you can't trust to throw Brian Elliott in there a few times a week, if that's the way it has to play out, then again, why did you bother signing him in the first place? Lack of options. Carter's going to get his. Carter's going to get his starts. He's going to get his starts. And if if the defense, I mean, which I think we're going to get to, if the defense keeps playing this poorly, the thing is, is that the goals against are going to keep coming. And they're going to keep coming for both goalies, which means that no one's going to get a head start on the other because they're both just going to be they're just going to keep flip flopping the two until one of them gets going or the defense gets better or both happen at the same time. Because like the only reason why Elliot took the lead in that in that tandem for a couple games was because Hart wasn't playing well and Elliot was. Well, now, again, full caveat, we're not blaming this on Elliot, but now neither of them are playing well. So now it's like, well, you might as well just go back to a straight tandem again. Yeah, and that's uh, my. I, this I'm, we're gonna break for an ad in just a second, but this came up on post game last night. So when I ask everybody, Hart had a uh, had a relatively low workload shutout his last time against the Devils. The Devils are a bad team. They don't look very good. They are very bad. I mean, I, I, w- I wouldn't go so far as call them very bad, but they're certainly not good. They're in last place in the league right now. <laughs> they're certainly not good. Um, say he has a twenty five shot one goal against performance on Friday night. Would you consider leaving him in on Saturday against Toronto? Or do you absolutely I, split up the back-to-backs? Kelly first. I would. I might play him. I would still go with Elliot. I'd split the back-to-backs. 
Let's not. We've got two days off. Let's not push it. Nope. Split Get em. wild. I'm just, you know. What do you think, Charlie? I said I would still go. Oh, okay. I would still go to Elliot. Okay. Uh, I would definitely. It depends completely on workload and performance and everything. But I consider it because he is your guy. Well, one thing I did like, um, and, and I mean, one could actually argue maybe they could have gotten him in sooner. But I did like the I, the fact that he got to play in the third period that against Pittsburgh. That last goal just was. Well, yeah, that the, the team punch. just gave up. No, they the did. Team, the just... team gave up. But my point is, is that like we we talked about earlier the concept of giving him some low risk minutes yeah. to find his game. There's there's fewer it's hard to think of a more low risk situation than coming into a 6-1 game 6-1 where game. where like literally not that the penguins weren't trying but they had very clearly called off the dogs in the third until the last until six until the seconds. last 6 seconds yeah. yeah but it was it was one of those deals where like you know you've won the game yeah. and you're not you know you're conserving your energy it's an 82 game season you're conserving your energy for the next game if you're the penguins you know it's basically over so you just give hart a chance to play a little bit and you know kind of hopefully build up his confidence a little bit he actually sounded pretty good after the game i was there and he was just like yeah i've been talking to brian elliott a lot he's been really good through this whole process and it was nice to get out there and you know feel a little bit better about myself so as as terrible as that Pittsburgh game was, like that was one positive we could get out of it was that for him Carter to build got on. to play a little bit. Yeah. Maybe he can build off of that. Yeah, uh, real fast, just because it just came up. Were you surprised? Was anyone surprised Hart didn't come in earlier? I was mildly surprised, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. Me neither. I just it came up on post game last night. Steph. I I thought they would have put him in midway through the first, but whatever. I didn't watch. Okay, Kelly. Same. Reason? I st- okay. I, tur- I turned it off after it got real ugly. That's so fair enough. I that's what I'm doing this season for uh, self care. When because it is because important. we've because we've seen how this team gets when shit goes bad. I'm too broken for that to matter to my mental state. And so I watched I watched the full games on Saturday and Sunday. And Saturday was a was a nice change of pace because they came back. Sunday they didn't. And when Tuesday started to go really poorly, I said, you know what. I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing it again, so I turned it off. All right. We are going to break for an ad. We will be back in just a second to talk about the defense in front of the goaltenders. All right, everybody. We are back, and uh, we're going to talk about the D. I want to lead it off with the biggest— We're talking D? Yeah. I love talking D. Listen up, ladies. Um, (laughs) We're going to talk about the D here, and yeah, we are children. And this this is the thing that just keeps coming up in post games. Um, man, Shane Gossespierre keeps coming up in post just games. Keeps coming up. I can't. I try to get it, but I did it. Just can't contain the D. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Anyway. Oh my. Shane Gossespierre. Um, what's up? What is up? Because he's not he's not picking my D up. I'll tell you that. I mean, he's not playing that well. I actually, to be honest, I actually thought that like he was one of the few guys against Pittsburgh that had showed any semblance of a pulse. Not that he played well, but he had a couple moments where he sort of looked like Shane Gossesbear again, which was he nice, did it, which was nice to see. You pointed it out on Twitter. Yeah, and he, so, did, he did the stop he did start the thing at the point. Yeah, I, it's the I, it, it has to have happened at some point this year. Yeah, but it's the only one I can remember. It's the only one I could remember too. So it, I mean, that was nice to see him look a little bit more like himself. But he was he was a fault, and I think. I think one of the goals he um he like kind of like half-assed reversed it behind the net to Haig and like it's partially on Haig because he needs to be a little bit more aware and there needs to be a little bit better communication but like ghost clearly put Haig in kind of a bad spot 
and uh, and then the uh, ultimately a turnover gets forced and the Penguins score. So like not like Ghost was great, not like really anybody was great in that game. But yeah, you know he's just the game where he was really bad in was Sunday's game. Yes, that was the mm-hmm. one that it was just like yikes. And I, we'll we'll get into Sam Moran and I have thoughts about Sam Moran. Oof. But um, but like Sam Moran did not play well at all, but. Ghost was not helping. He didn't help at him. all. He didn't help him a little <laughs> he was bit. Was making it very, very difficult for Sam Rand to have anything. He likes to be a good called game. Samuel. Samuel. There is no Sam in French. Apparently, uh, his name is Sam. His mother named him Samuel, mm-hmm. so that's his name. All right. Oh fuck off. No, that's what he said. <laughs> oh, Mike Vick did that. He he said my name is Michael, and then like you know went to jail and stopped correcting people. Well, that's not how Samuel Moran <laughs> no, story will go. Um. Yeah, he uh, he looked rough. He looked, yeah. he looked rough, but it's his first NHL game in a very long time. And probably. His last <laughs> in a very long time. I don't know. I don't know. He was, I can't complain about Samuel Moran, the seventh defenseman, when like the other six have been just as bad. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not complaining about no. Sam Moran. And, and the thing with Sam, Samuel Moran, Steph, Thank yeah, you. is that I like him. Like he is a genuinely good dude. I would love to see him succeed in the NHL. He seems like a, he's he's always got a smile on his face. His teammates really like him. He's a, he's a good dude. It's just that he needed to fight. Though. It's not even. It's mind boggling to me how many people are obsessed with this guy. It's so weird. It, it's it's utterly mind boggling to me how many people are like completely infuriated by the idea that Samuel Moran is not getting every shot in the world to make like to make an impact on this team and it's like guys he's probably a third pair defenseman like i had people best. i had people screaming at me all like all throughout the first month of the year when sam ran going to play when sam ran going to play is he going to play and it's like yeah probably at some point but just to let you know he's probably not that good then he plays he's not good and then the day after it's why isn't Moran playing? Because he's probably not that good. He played. He wasn't that good. You're not just going to keep throwing a guy out there. And the the cherry on top is that you know what? Like all of this like screaming and yelling about Samuel Moran and when is he going to play and why is he going to play? Direct that at Philip Myers, who's actually probably good. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about that just for a second. So Let's. our our poor, our poor Phil Myers just rotting away in Lehigh Valley while Four we're assists through six games, like, a team leading plus eight if you're into that kind of thing. There. Just he's too good to be playing there. And we have a defense that's struggling right now. Across the board, with the exception of Ivan Provorov and maybe Matt yeah. Niskanen, um, bring him up. Like, bring him up. I don't care at this point right now in this season. I don't care if you have to sit Travis Sanheim to get Phil Myers in. Do I want you to sit Travis Sanheim? Why would Absolutely you Absolutely not. Yeah, that's a great question. Repeat it, Kelly. Why would you have to do that? Yeah. Because why would you sit Hague or Ghost or someone else who well, abjectly sucks? Well, Ghost doesn't abjectly suck. He has this At year. The moment he's having a rough patch. Um, I want to know because but, gonna, but okay. the reason the reason why you would sit Sanheim over Hague is because Myers plays a similar style to Sanheim, but that's fine. Um, I I'm just saying, get the guy in the lineup. And get I, the guy with the team first. Get and, the guy with the team yeah. and then get him in the lineup. Like this the defense 
is having a really hard time. And if, if you're carrying seven defensemen because you're scared about losing Samuel Moran or Os- uh, um, no, I was going to say Oscar Lindblom. No, nah, that's other, not other Swede. for the other Swede. Robert <laughs> Haig on waivers, like your priorities are just a little bit off right now because the on ice product is suffering. Yeah. And, and just to kind of follow up on that, this kind of goes back to one of my things with, with Moran is that like, look, I understand. I really understand that as an organization, you don't want to lose an asset for nothing. I'm looking at this purely from from two angles. I'm looking at this, number one, from what is best for the player. And number two, what is the worst case scenario of the situation? What's best for Samuel Moran right now is playing hockey. And what would really be best for Samuel Moran right now would be to go to an organization where he can play hockey in the NHL regularly. And it's not here. Yeah. So... I almost am kind of rooting for them to waive him so he can get a shot elsewhere. And if he doesn't get that get that claim, which I don't think is a foregone conclusion, but it's very possible he could, then he can play regularly in the AHL and basically re you know just get his skates back under him because he's barely played hockey. And the second thing is like, oh my god, well you waive him. What if you lose him? Is it really going to kill you? Yeah. No. Like your eighth defenseman on the depth chart is Phil Myers, who is probably better than your sixth and seventh best defenseman on the depth chart. Your ninth defenseman on the depth chart is Mark Friedman, who, like, I don't know how good he is, but I think he's probably at as this point a borderline NHL player. I just don't know. I kind of want them to wave Sam around because the way I look at it is the worst case scenario is you lose a third pair defenseman, and honestly, I'm rooting for the kid to succeed, and I don't know if it's going to happen here. Yeah, it's not. So I kind of want him, I, for his sake, I kind of want him to go elsewhere and have an actual chance of succeeding because I don't think it's going to happen in Philly. That's I, how I felt about Jordan Wheel. I just think um, spending this much time talking about Samuel Moran is a waste of time. <laughs> like, yep. I just, I don't care. I really like. I want to see the guy. I I want to see him succeed. It was a first round pick. If he ends up being something, good for you. Well, bro. but it, it does. But li- we have it, actual guys here are going to help this team yeah. win or lose. He's not one of yeah, them. Yeah, but it, it links up though because and it, it's the, because well, of Phil Myers. Well, Phil Myers, and then also how that how that links to Ghost. Because yes. the question is, you know, how do you fix Shane Goss? How do you fix Shane Goss's bear? Because I've been seeing a lot, and not from. Listen, I filter out plenty of the overreactive maniacs. Do you though? I'm one of them. But <laughs> That's like kind of I can't I'm filter here. myself <laughs> out. Saying. But I've seen a lot of otherwise reasonable people consider the idea that maybe he's just not gonna ever be what he's supposed to be here and the change of scenery thing could work for him and the team. Does anyone think that that's a good idea? No. No. I mean, it might work for him, but it won't work for us because whatever we get back for him is not going to be of equal value to good Shane Goss's bear. And the, so. the only way trading Shane Goss's bear makes sense for the Flyers is if you really think he's on a downward trajectory and is never going to pull out of this. And I mean, like, I, I guess I guess I'm here for the argument. I don't think it's the way it's going to play out, but... I guess I could. I, I guess I could envision a scenario where like he just never pulls out of this and never looks like dynamic Shane Goss's bear again. But that's really the only way you do it because if you trade him, you're not. We talked about this all offseason. You're not going to get full value back for a guy who's coming oh, up a bad year. Now. And now yeah. it's like, well, you're not going to get full value back for a guy who had a not so great year and isn't having a great start to this year. So you know, we've had this discussion about prospects that you know one of the. 
One thing that very few teams take advantage of is this idea that you have more information about your prospects and your young players than anyone else does. So in theory, you should be able to determine quicker than any other team in the league that this guy isn't as good as public perception has everyone believing, so let's sell high on him now while people still think he's really good. Like, Ottawa had the opportunity to trade Cody Cece for a shitload of things multiple times, and they kept convincing themselves (laughs) he was good, and by the time they accepted the fact that he was bad, they couldn't get back Jack Squat for so there's something to be said about like if you think that Shane Gosses Bear is just on this this downward trend that's never going to reverse itself, trade him now while he still has some value. There's something to be said about that, but you have to believe that. And I don't know if anybody at this table believes that. I absolutely do not. It's been 11 games into this season, and he hasn't looked like horseshit for the entire 11 games. It's it's been a, a rough patch to wow. start the season. I, I don't believe that he's never going to come out of it. I believe he's going to be a good player in the NHL one day. I just wonder if it's if it needs he needs waking up that goes beyond something that can happen while he's comfortable. You believe well, that he'll be a good player in the NHL someday, as if he hasn't already been for the past four years. I mean, two of those years he was excellent, and two of them he wasn't. And what was he instead? Good? Eh. He was good? He was all right. He was good? He was decent. He was, he was good right. on a on a trash team, he was and okay. that that earns him. I mean, if nothing. you're that great, you, shouldn't the team be better because of you? Like, I can't blame the Look team for everything. Look at the rest everything. of the defense. Okay. I mean, the defense has been a problem, for and he's part ever. of it. Yeah, he's part but of it. Here's the here's the thing, though. Like at this point, they and I know we're going to get to this, but they haven't done everything they can to give him a chance to succeed. Absolutely because as we've not. been saying for this whole show, the entire defense for the most part, has been shit. So I don't understand why we can't switch things up a little bit and maybe give him a partner that is not the anchor on the defense for five minutes, and maybe he will pull out of it. And, oh. and that was where uh, that was kind of where I was hinting at when I yeah. said, like, th- this is all linked, why we're talking yeah. about Samuel Moran, why we're talking about Phil Myers, because... But I'm on. Well, it's just that, it's just that, like... is Because there was a lot of this back and forth over the last week about Ghost, where... You know the the hardcore Ghost defenders were saying you can't you know you can't criticize Ghost too much because he's stuck with Hague. And then the other side was like, well, you're watching him play. He's you know he's it's not he's not playing poorly solely because he's next to Robert Hague. And both sides have points. And I think really the middle ground here is that yes, Ghost objectively is not playing that well. However maybe the best way to get him to start playing well is to put him next to a better player than Robert right. Haig. And, right. you know, it's not maybe going to happen overnight. Like, it's, this isn't an Andrew McDonald situation where it's literally just the number, like, you know, Ivan Proveroff's playing great, he's next to Andrew McDonald, so his numbers look like shit. Like, Shane Gosbeer actually is not playing that well but maybe if you change the mix a little bit, maybe he has a little bit more confidence and he gets he has a couple good plays in the beginning of a game that get him going and then it starts snowballing and then boom, Shane Goss's bear in two or three games after pulling away from Robert Haig looks more like Shane Goss's bear because he's improved because he's being put in a more favorable position so he can build on his little successes over the course of a shift. I believe part of the issue is very is a very simple formula. Where is Shane Gossespierre never going to be great? The defensive zone. What do we know about Robert Haig? He's in the defensive zone all the time. That's why he leads the league and hits and blocks shots. Because he never has the puck. The other team does. So putting those two together doesn't make any sense to me. I just want, like, 
is Shane at a point and is this defense at a point where we have players who are better than him and he'll never be able to play second pair minutes? No. Like No, I don't think so. I I, I really I want him with Niskanen, but uh, like, what does that mean Sanheim's going to be doing? What does that mean Provorov's going to be doing? Well, if Sanheim's I think... having a pretty shit start to the season, too, so maybe sometime on the third pairing is... Oh, I wouldn't... I, w- I don't doubt it. I, I do believe mixing up the D pairs and bringing up Myers could be good for the team overall. I, I'm I just... I, I, don't, I don't really I'm buy... I'm concerned about Shane Gossett. I don't there. buy the... Well, if he's not going to play above the third pair, then, you know, when's he going to... You know, where's he going to fit? Like... I know it's been different this year, but defensive pairs aren't static. Like guys, you know, guys can play on the third pair for a couple games, and then they can play on the second pair for a couple games, and then they can play on the first pair for a couple games. Like this stuff gets mixed up, and what it boils down to, honestly, is you earn your ice time. And if Shane Gossespierre was playing better, I believe he would be getting legitimate second pair minutes. He's just not. So the question is, how do you get him playing better? I don't think this like I believe that if if everybody if everybody on this team on the defense was playing their best, Shane Gosbear would be getting the third or fourth most minutes on the defense because he would probably be yeah. Ivan Provorov, Travis Sanheim, and then Ghost would be right with Niskanen. If, ev- right. if everyone was playing their best. And that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Shane Gossiper does not have to be getting the first or second most minutes on the defense to be providing value and to be getting his chances to succeed. Now, right now, he's not playing well, so he's getting, you know, the fourth or fifth. He's probably right around Braun. They just, you know, Braun gets used more when the team's leading and Ghost probably gets used more when the team's trailing because you're trying to score goals. And then Haig is very clearly the sixth. Yeah. Um, but I think... He'll get. He would get more opportunities if he was playing better. He just has to play better, and that's the question. How do you get him to play better? We talked about this with the offense last week, so let's do it with the D pairs now. Ideal, ideal uh, defensive lineup. What, like, who do you think should be with who if you had control of the of the lineup? Right now, I would do Proveroff, Niskanen, Ghost, Braun, Sanheim, Myers. I yep. I think I want to see what would happen if we put Ghost and Sanheim together for just a little hmm. bit. I think that could be fun. You know, mm-hmm. Braun and, and Haig together could be an absolute disaster and nightmare. But I think uh, maybe maybe put the two struggling good boys together. <laughs> I want to see Provorov and Sanheim together. I really yeah, do. Well, it, it I, works. It, wouldn't, it works and it wouldn't hurt, but Sanheim needs to needs to play better. They both do. Uh, Provorov, I thought... has been good. Provorov, I thought, had a good start, an encouraging start to the year. I haven't liked what I've seen a ton uh, lately. The turn, You know I always say the guys who have the puck the most are the ones who turn it over the most. But it's about when and where. And when you're just turning it over in front of your net, that's playing bad. It's not mm-hmm. trying to make a play. It's playing bad. That's fair. I, I think that Provorov is getting too much shit right now because I think he's in the position where... I don't think he's some, any worse than of, anyone else. Well, some of his some of his mistakes have seemed more glaring, and I think a lot of people are building off of that off of last year. Yeah, definitely. But mm-hmm. I th- but I think he's actually been significantly better. I think la- I think against Pittsburgh he was actively bad. But again, almost everybody in the team was yes. actively no, bad. I lo- I'm looking at Provorov the way I'm looking at the team as a whole. Eleven games in total. All right, I'll take it. Yeah. But what I've seen over the last couple. I think is trending in the wrong direction. Sure. Not saying he won't be great, you know, on Friday. Just I don't like I can't say anyone on this blue line's playing well. I've liked what I've seen for the most part out of Matt Niskanen. That's you just it. you just don't know. And and you know what that's really what this 
that's what this two-game skit has just reminded everyone. It's just that this era— Life is meaningless. Well, it's just this era of you just don't know about this team is still yeah. around. And that was the—like, Elaine Vigneault—I I highlighted this in my column after after the game. And Elaine Vigneault, who, you know, was, was very critical of his team, and he actually—he um, cut his press conference short because he was just sort of like, look, we didn't have the energy. I'm not really sure what else I can say. And he ended the press conference. But he did have, like, one positive thing to say, and he said it twice. And it's basically that, like— we know, we know, and everyone who watches this team should know that we're better than how we played last night or tonight. And the thing is, is that he's right. They absolutely are not as bad as they played against Pittsburgh. They absolutely are not as bad as they played against the Islanders. But the excitement after the first nine games was because we were hoping that maybe they were done having games like these. Because that, like... It's one thing to be mediocre in the sense that like you're always mediocre. But the reason why this Flyers team is has been mediocre for the last five years isn't because they haven't been good for stretches. Yeah. It's because in aggregate they're mediocre because they have these awesome stretches and then they have these awful stretches. And the first nine games gave you the hope that maybe, maybe they're no longer going to have these awful games that drag everything down and make it so this team in aggregate is mediocre. And to roll out with those two mediocre games right in a row against divisional rivals, against the Penguins, actively Opponent actively awful games. It just was like, yes, we objectively know that this team isn't as bad as they played the last two games. We were hoping they were good enough not to have these games anymore, and they are. So now it just it, we don't think we're this we don't think they're this bad, but we just think this is more of the same. And that's why it was frustrating. That's a uh, that's a good segue into talking about the offense, Charlie, because we talked a little uh, to start the year. Man, this team's dumping and chasing a lot, Which but it was, they are. But it was working yeah. because they brought that energy every night. They're getting in on the forecheck. They are making things happen. It looked like a different team because of the energy they were playing with. But as we've seen, when you don't have that energy, you're just punting. The dump and chases. Yeah. Okay, here you go. Yeah. Like I, I don't understand why dumps that don't get recovered aren't aren't called turnovers because they are. But you know it's hockey, so that's a good hockey play. You got the puck deep. But I, man, what like has anyone asked about the dumping and chasing? Like, is there? Is it just not? I is it what they want to do? Is it just hey, we don't have a ton of chemistry right now because there's a bunch of new combinations. So this is the easiest way to go about things and. You know, we've we've seen okay, a couple of carry-ins resulted in a couple of goals taken away a couple of nights ago because of offsides and stuff. What is this? What how they're going to play the whole year? Because if it is, they are going to look really shitty on nights they don't have a hundred percent energy. Well, William, I don't know if this was if this was a setup or if you did not read my column that I published on Monday. Let's see what your answer. But I did ask Elaine Vigneault this oh, very question last go. week, and it was wow. one of my ten observations in my O'Connor's observations column that I published on Monday. So I asked Elaine Vigneault that very question because I've been tracking entries all year, and the Flyers, I have not yet tracked the Pittsburgh game because I was in a car driving home most of today uh, from Pittsburgh. Uh, But going into the Pittsburgh game, the Flyers had a 38.3% controlled entry rate, which is very low. Um, Usually teams, I would say, on average, are around like the 46 to 47% controlled entry range. So 38, 38%, pretty damn low. And I asked him, and his response was this. I was like, is it is it a coincidence or is it something you guys are, are doing intentionally? And it was, no, 
I think we're putting a lot of emphasis right now on making the other team's defensemen turn, making them go back for pucks, forcing them into turnover situa- situations where we can press and create that quick counter, whether it be in the offensive zone or the neutral zone. We are chipping more pucks in, and I think at the end of the day, that's a read the players are going to get more used to. So, yes, they are doing this purposely. Okay. Um, I then asked him, basically, is this going to continue in perpetuity, I guess is one way to ask to say that, although I did not use those words to Elaine Vigneault. Sure. Um, <laughs> and he basically said that he thinks it's something, he said, I think it's a thing that's going to evolve in the sense that as players continue to play at a faster pace, sometimes when you're playing at that faster pace, you get a little bit more room, and then you can use that room. Right now, teams are playing us tight. They've got compact units, so you got to make the high percentage play, and that's chip and go get it. So my my read is that right now, yes, they, they are advocating for them to dump it in and chase it in and, you know, get it back and play a heavy four-check game and use that to create puck possession, use that to wear down the other team. Now, whether that's going to continue forever, I don't necessarily think it will. But for right now, yes, it is an intentional strategy right. for them to play heavy dump and chase. Because, listen, I don't... I think you can win that way. There are teams who have been built to win that way. Yes. We saw the Kings win a couple of cups doing it. Now, they had personnel to do it, uh, and they had four lines that were able to do it. I don't know if the Flyers are fast enough to do it against upper echelon teams. I mean, we like, just saw it. They're yeah, not. That's when you have a Justin Schultz and a Chris Letang back there, those guys get the puck and move it. And you're just now you're defending, and it doesn't give you the chance to get those zone en- uh, zone exit denials on those second on those like rebound opportunities, those second chance opportunities. I don't know if this team is fast enough to win this way consistently. It's fair, and the one thing that I do want to point out, and I haven't have really had a chance to point this out in my articles, but it's it's the truth. Like there, it's become an analytics truism that controlled entries are better than dump ins, yeah. and they are. Like the 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 numbers are basically, I believe that like it's like point six. It's like 0.63 or 0.64 unblocked uh, shot attempts come about on average uh, from un- from controlled entries, and it's like 0.29 for uh, for dumping. So it's about double, a little over double the value. But really, what it boils down to is differential. It, it all everything boils down to differential. So you can win by dumping the puck in a lot if, in turn, you are generating more raw entries than the other team is and you're also forcing them to dump in the puck a lot and and there is a if you're running a good four checking system predicated upon dumping the puck in you can do it you can link the two because if you think about it like let's say you dump the puck in and this is just a very simplified let's say you dump the puck in at the start of your shift you recover the puck you have control of the puck for 25 seconds and you've worn the other team down. They skated around a little bit. You took a couple shot attempts. Maybe you didn't create anything dangerous, but whatever. They get the puck. They try to do a breakout. They're gassed. They end up just flipping the puck out to the neutral zone. You get the puck back. They rush off for a change. You dump the puck right back in. And then in that happens over three or four shifts. And then, boom, within four minutes of play, you generated eight entries, and they generated one. And, yes... Maybe seven of those eight entries you generated were dump-ins, but if they only generated one entry, even if that was a carry-in, and on average they generate .6 unblocked shots, if you generated eight, 
and seven of them were dump-ins, and one of them was a carry-in, your differential, your expected shot differential, is through the friggin' roof. And I think that's how the Flyers were succeeding in the start of the year. Now, whether it's sustainable, we'll see. But, like... You can do it. You can be a good team while being dump and chase heavy. You just have to also be good enough defensively, and you also have to be forechecking well enough to make it harder for the other team to move the puck up ice and beat you from the differential standpoint. So it can be done. It's just, it's not as simple as always carry the puck in when you can. Like, yeah, yeah that's ideal. If you had the choice in a vacuum every time, you carry the puck in because it's more valuable, but it's a little bit more complex than just that. Sure. So you were in Pittsburgh. Correct. Nolan Patrick was not? I did not see him. Okay. It's hard to tell entirely because I didn't go to the island. So I'm not, like, I can't tell you for certain whether he was at the island or not. I know they flew from Long Island to Pittsburgh. Yes. So, but presumably if he wasn't in Pittsburgh, I don't know why he would be at the island. Yeah, that would have been weird. Um, But, uh, but yeah, he, he didn't skate. And he didn't have, usually if a player's on the trip, even if they're not going to play, they have a stall in the locker room. He did not have a stall. So, so probably I presume he was the not there. Yeah, That's interesting, considering that he went on the Western Canada trip. Do you think that was a little bit of, Nolan, I know that you're a little bit down and out and you didn't get to come to Europe, so come with us to... Calgary. I also think that was a lot more of a team building trip. I, I, that's exactly like what I Like they believe. had Canadian Thanksgiving, they had some True. days off in yeah. Vancouver. That's kind of what I was saying. Yes. Like, that's I, exactly yeah. what I was saying. So yeah. I think this, this more, was this was more just business. This is just a business. I trip. think they want I think they want him to feel like he's part of the team. But and I don't think going, he is I, part of the team. I, I don't think going but, to Long Island and Pittsburgh is going. You know, if he misses I can't, that trip, I cannot imagine two worse him. places to go. Yeah, I don't I, think it's going to crush him. Based on the fucking performance, good for him. Yeah, he didn't have to sit through that shit. We did. Yeah, uh, but I will well, say, you yeah. change the channel. I will. I I do post game. Usually, I've done post game <laughs> and only watched half the games. I will say Just though, saying. like, listen. I, one of the things I've been harping on with people is like. The schedule's been ridiculous. Nolan Patrick's not back yet. Carter Hart's not Carter Hart. Let's wait for everything to stabilize. Now, two of those things, I believe, are going to definitely happen because good goalies become good goalies given enough sample size, and the schedule isn't, like, they're not going to Europe again this year, so things are going to be more normal. Um, They don't have a 3C, though. And we went out and got Kevin Hayes in order to set this team up to have three effective centers. At what point, since he's not even traveling with the team, it appears, do we have to bring up Morgan Frost or German Rubstov? The germ. Like, real soon, right? It's feeling frosty in here. Uh, Frost, uh, Frost, six points through seven games. He went scoreless in his first three, uh, then had a game with three assists, uh, followed that up with a goal and eight shots on net, and has four uh, four straight points overall. A four-game point streak is, of course, the point where Joel Farabee got called yeah. up. Yeah, you, you know, I who who would you who would you sit right now? <laughs> It's not even a question. No, no, that was the dumbest thing I've ever said. We're not said. even going to say his name. We're not even going to say his name. 
his name tonight, even though he was minus three in about six minutes last night. I have said a lot of dumb stuff on this show. A lot of dumb stuff. Now that, those words may have been the dumbest. And the look that Bill gave me as they came out of my mouth was, are you fucking serious? It's just, I won't fault you for for forgetting he played for the team. I did. I forgot that he played for the team. I forgot that he played for the team. His birthday is today. Oh, happy birthday, guy. Yeah. I forgot that he played for the team. But, so that's that's where this was coming from. Yeah. Obviously, uh, you sit Chris Stewart. Yeah. Obviously. Oh, we said his name. I, I had Everybody to say drink his name. out there. If Everybody you drink. If you weren't drinking, open one up. I forgot that uh, he was on the but hockey the germ team. But the also Flyers. six points through seven games. Do we know if they're playing C or, or wing here? So Frost is absolutely playing center. Okay. Um, I know and, they've and moved the germ well, around it, a lot. It's, it's intriguing to me. His name <laughs> is German Rupsov. Okay. It's intriguing to me that that Frost, like even going back to training camp, was never on the wing. Okay, that's intriguing to me because one would think, and I don't think this like before you get all conspiracy theory. I don't think this this is saying that like Nolan Patrick's never going to play another hockey game. It's just that like one would think that the easiest path for Morgan Frost to get in the NHL is to play wing. Uh To me, the conspiracy theory is less that. To me, the conspiracy theory is less that Nolan Patrick is never going to play again, and it's more that they have no intention of calling up Morgan Frost anytime soon, so they want to have him play at his normal position and develop in the AHL for a while before they even consider moving him to wing to race him up here. That, mm-hmm. to me, is is more the conspiracy theory than, oh my god, they're keeping Morgan Frost at center because they don't think Nolan Patrick is part of the future. I don't think that's the case. I think it's more that... I'm not. I'm leaving it this way. I'm not holding my breath for a Morgan Frost call up. No. Ew. Do you think one is warranted? If I were them, I would do it. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I think they always had this feeling that Morgan Frost would benefit from extended time in the AHL far more so than they felt about Joel Farabee. I think they looked at Joel Farabee with the idea of he can play in the NHL skill wise, and he's got he, and and style-wise and pace-wise and all that stuff. We just don't know if he can hold up for an 82-game season, whereas I think they believe that Morgan Frost needs to make some adjustments in terms of the way he plays to succeed in the NHL. We're running out of time here, but I just want to ask, have you noticed maybe Farabee isn't strong enough, isn't big enough? Because I haven't. I haven't I haven't noticed that being a detriment to his game yet. I think that we need to ask ourselves what we have done wrong in our lives that has given Joel Farabee such terrible luck. Oh, my God. E- e- everybody, everybody. He had a fucking three-point night, and they took it away from they him. They took it away from him. Everybody, you all need to look deep into your souls and ask what you did to harm Joel Farabee. I because I, I can point to a couple <laughs> different things in my own life. Something... We've we've hurt this poor boy, um, but no, I've I've been so impressed. Anybody with him. who doesn't, anyone who is on the opposite side of me after watching that travesty, um, needs to just get on the hashtag end offsides bandwagon. That's all. I mean, I was ready to fire Kevin rule. Hayes into the sun because he. Barry took mean, responsibility. Twice. It was his fault. They they were joking about it after the yeah, game. He's young. Whatever. It's his fault. That's joke. the way it goes. Whatever. But melts like. Let's get him a a game winning goal. Is his first goal? Have like, you been watching? Let's have that happen. Have you seen the new season of uh, of Letterkenny Kelly? No, I haven't. Oh, it's I'll good. It There's some it. good stuff in there. I highly Yay. recommend. Did that have to do with anything we were talking about, or did you just want to bring up Letterkenny? Uh, we're out of time, so <laughs> <laughs> so no. They're just looking for a way to irritate us. Clearly. In the last minute, obviously. 
Obviously. All right, that is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having out. If you haven't already... Hanging out. There we go. Having out. Having out. Uh, if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Just search Broad Street Hockey where there, wherever there are podcasts. My name is Bill Matz. For Kelly, for Steph, for Charlie. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about